it's going to be a <laughs> it's going to be a hodgepodge of a <laughs> it's going to be a hodgepodge of stuff. <laughs> I don't see I don't see how they do it every week, man. Like if I don't get my prep time in on the weekend, I'm fucked. Yeah. Yeah, I, I guess I need to look into that because uh, this shit is is whooping my ass. Yeah. Yeah. Also, please feel free to donate any amounts, which will go to the website and airtime. It's also a labor of love, but we still live in a costly world. If you appreciate the free content, please help us to keep the message uncensored and free. You can always donate through PayPal at onthewakeupradio at gmail.com. Also, uh, YouTube channel for On Wake Up Radio is titled On The Wake Up Radio on YouTube. Also, to subscribe to it for all the other shows that you may have missed or want to check up on. Also, merchandise is always available at teespring.com forward slash super slash 75. <clears throat> so, uh, as always, what we do, uh, what I normally do, I do movie breakdowns. I got two of them, uh, per se, I want to talk about. But um, the first one, I really didn't give a shit about. I think I want to start charging people uh, for some of these suggestions they want me to break down. Because uh, if I'm not uh, anywhere interested and it's something I have to sit through and actually decode and everything, I'm going to have to start charging people donations or whatever. So <laughs> I think moving forward, if you suggest me a movie title that I really don't give a fuck about, I'm going to need a donation. That's just being fair. Now, so the first one, um, and in particular, this one I was I was suggested was the Netflix series called The Island. I didn't care about The Island. I wasn't interested in The Island, but I had too many people in my ass uh, about one to having me watch this and tell me what I thought. Fine. I sat through two and a half days. I binged through the seven episodes. And um, 
I will say it was a slow burn, um, but I got through it. Um, there are some twists and turns that I thought were interesting, but overall, I could have not seen this and been okay with it. But um, so let's get into it. Um, the Island, Netflix. So the first episode, uh, you have 10 people. They all wake up buried on an island and um, their minds are wiped. They don't understand why they're there. Uh, the first clue is they're all in uh, white tops with green bottoms, green pants. So it's a uniform. And then there's artifacts buried underneath each and every one of them. Once they realized, uh, once they woke up, they saw the spot they were laying in. Um, the blonde sister found a book called The Mysterious Island. So then they discovered their names that they were given on the tag, on the back of the tags of their shirt. Um, so the, the first interesting part of this series was the mating choices that these women were making uh, early on. All of the women were making mating choices to the men they thought would be able to uh, protect and provide for them and help them survive their life on the island. Very, very, very telling. The one particular nerd chick, I believe Blair, got with the supposed nerd chick, uh, Mason, uh, Casey, she was a rather aggressive redhead, got with the big brooding guy, Brody. And then you had the other main couple, I thought, was uh, Chase and Cooper. But they had a natural attraction for which they didn't understand uh, why that was. But during the backstory, you'll see the, the implications and everyone's backstory. It, 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 it'll, it'll clear itself up. But I thought that was very interesting at the, at the very jump. The mating choices these these women were making uh, first first out. Okay, so now um, one of the smart ones, Mason, um, him and Blair, they figured out there's 39 steps in between each victim on the island, and then Chase discovered a sign that says "Find your way back" off the 39 steps from each body that was laid out. And so, of course, she thinks it's something more than what it is. Everybody else is pretty much resound to the fact that they're going to be on this island. They got to go find food, clothing, shelter, yada, yada, yada. Out of frustration, Chase. Chase is the star of this entire series. Um, she, she is the antagonist. Uh, this thing is all pretty much all about her. And in her frustration, she breaks open a conscious shell. She, she's now each person on the island initially when they woke up they had a they had an item casey had a knife uh chase had a, a conch shell and so on and so forth so she ends up breaking the shell against the rock out of frustration because she was trying to explain to everybody look it's not what it is there's more to it there's a sign here but for some odd reason only she could find these items all right she just had a propensity to find certain knickknack of items that only were privy to her of course everyone else is distrusting of her so she breaks open the conch shell, which she didn't realize there's a tracking device inside the shell and a barcode that said the island, property of the island, had she just, you know, had enough wherewithal to look and see. Um, moving forward. Okay, so that was episode one. Episode two. Now, Chase sees a life raft. She swims out to the life raft. She finds a first aid kit, bullets, a pack of gum. Yada, yada, yada. She, she, 
and in the first episode, Donovan gets eaten by a shark. They assume he's dead, but he's not dead. His body washes ashore um, later on. So she brings the life raft to the sh- to the shore. She hides the life raft. She buries the kits inside. And then she, like I said, she has natural affinity. She's drawn to Cooper. So she kind of forms an alliance with Cooper. Uh, Cooper and Brody don't get along. There's this whole, uh, almost like when you watch uh, the show on CBS, uh, The Survivor, how people are just kind of picking and choosing. And you got two alpha males kind of fighting for the uh, the attention of the group to want to be the leader. So Brody and Chase at one point find a waterfall inside the island, in or towards the island. Brody's like, hey, let's not tell everybody about this. Let's kind of keep it to ourselves. So her and Chase, having they kiss, they have an embrace. And then Brody tries to rape her. So she fights off. She runs back, tells everybody what he what he did. And he's like, ah, she's crazy, man. We just kissed. And, of course, Chase looks crazy anyway because she's hyper masculine, uber aggressive. She's military trained. Uh, she has a lot of issues, anger issues. So people are looking at her like she's the problem. Okay. So after all that's been resolved, uh, Cooper and, and Chase form an alliance. She shows Cooper stamps with the number 39 and a pack of gum with the, with the price tag of 39 cents. And they're like, well, okay, there's more to this 39 than what we're being led. Because, of course, each each body was found 39 paces from each other. Okay, so then at one point, Brody, um, Casey and Brody hatchet plan and want to steal the, the hatchet from Chase because they, they, view, they view Chase as a problem. Brody kind of goes ape shit, attacks Cooper. They get into it, and then Brody snatches the knife away from uh, Chase. And then everyone's looking at Brody like he's crazy now. And uh, he drops the knife. Casey picks up the knife, gives it back to Chase. I'll get more into that little dynamic later on. Okay. Then there's a storm coming in. Okay. And as the storm comes in, uh, the first person to have a flashback of prior memories is Chase which signifies she is the focal point of this entire series. She has a, 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 a real brief flashback of an old lady in a chair with a pool of blood. Okay. Now this, the, the storm comes to the Island. She says, Hey, everybody come follow me. Um, I found a raft. Everybody get in so we can survive this storm. Now maybe five or six of the people followed chase. The other half kind of huffed it out. And 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 at the island, okay. Uh, first and foremost, hey, oh, let me give a quick shout out to uh, All Day Page for the ten dollar uh, super chat. Thank you, bro. I appreciate it. He says public public driver always listening. Why that guy ran from Judge Joe Brown smoke? <laughs> yes, if you didn't catch what happened earlier, Judge Joe Brown and Malik Yoba had a a, a coup d'état, and Malik Yoba pulled the old oh my phone, my phone went dead issue and hung up the. The uh, his call for the conversation from Judge Joe Brown that was interesting. Okay, getting back to the series. Um, so everyone's like, Where'd you find this raft? How come you're always finding things? And she's like, Just shut up and get in the raft because it's a pretty bad storm. Um, Casey has an infection on her abdomen that she doesn't tell anybody about. After the storm, Cooper and Chase go exploring the cliffs and they find a villa, an abandoned villa. Okay, um, Chase has another flashback. Brody ends up with dead with a knife in his back. No one saw it. He just showed up. He's random. His bottom is his body is just randomly there on the beach 
with a knife in his back. He's the first victim. Um, of course, everyone, the, the obvious suspect is Chase because Chase had that particular knife. She was the only one with the knife. And she's like, well, it couldn't have been me. Maybe someone took it while I was sleeping, yada, yada, yada. So obviously she is the, the, the prime suspect. Uh, now, going to episode two, I mean, episode three. Uh, before episode three, so the, the, the tribe, they attack Chase. They're about to strip her, strip search her. She's fighting them off. Now, it, the fight choreography is pretty trash. Uh, somehow Chase can fight off seven, eight people at, at one time. So they finally hit her over the head. She is knocked out. Episode three, she wakes up in the infirmary. Here's where the twist starts coming in. Nurse Golding um, tells her, hey, you're not paralyzed. You, you, you're fine. We just gave you a sedative. You're okay. Uh, Chase cannot get out of the chair. So then the doctor comes in, Dr. Conrad. He lowers the magnetic field, the force field around her, allowing her to move. He said, oh, I'm sorry. I had it turned up too high. So he grabs his tablet and lowers the, the force field, and she's able to move now. <clears throat> and then Chase is placed in the gen general population uh, section of the prison. Chase meets the warden. Uh, Chase is the first experiment to wake up, um, not only wake up from the uh, experiment, but also the first one to have uh, flashbacks, which has never happened before. So they're all trying to figure out why is she having flashbacks, uh, not only this early or just having flashbacks, period. Okay, so then... Okay, so it, it comes out that Chase has a military background. Then the warden tells Chase that she's in a simulation. Dun, dun, dun. She's in a simulation. The entire island is a simulation. This is just like the, the, the TV show Lost, All My Old Heads. Y'all remember Lost on ABC? That bullshit-ass uh, series finale, right? <laughs> so this is like a, a, a slight ripoff of, of Lost to a certain extent. So then... He tells her, hey, you're in a simulation. The island's a simulation. All other nine members are all prisoners. Everybody's a prisoner. Okay? So, basically, they're all in prison on death row. And they all go to this simulation chamber. And they all each are uh, laid in a pool of water and... The mind, you know, the, the the devices or whatever, and they're all sent to the to the island simulate simulator. Okay, the plan is, if they can be redeemed, they will be granted their freedom. That's going to be the, the 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 very very important part towards the end of the series, and it'll it'll be revealed why uh, redemption and forgiveness is so important in the series. Still, I don't give a fuck about the series, but. I'm in it now, so I'm 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 invested in this shit. So now, if Chase passes her psycho psychological eval in front of the in front of the board, she gets sent back into the simulator. Okay. Now, the more she learns, she doesn't want to go back into the simulator, uh, of course, because she's still grappling with the idea this whole thing is not real, and the fact that and the fact that this reality is she's a prisoner in prison. There's a couple episode uh, scenes where she fights off all the. The, the prison guards, mind you, these all these men are twice her size, and she beats them all to crap. Yada yada yada. Okay, now in front of the psych board, the one particular doctor says, "Well, they want to erase the memories 
by changing a person's environmental circumstances, thus issuing a clean slate. So the premise is if you can mind wipe the prisoners and put them in a certain environment in, in a controlled environment, you can thus uh, achieve a different result, a different desired result. It would you would hope that they wouldn't resort resort to their, their criminal behavior per se. OK, so what they want to do is uh, negate the criminal, the criminal element in, in, in their nature, given provided different circumstances. That's the whole key of this experiment. That's the key to redemption and forgiveness. All right. So then. The Texas, I mean, the, the prison is located in Texas. This is all important. Trust me. So the prison is located in Texas. If you die in the simulator, you die for real. Brody backstory, he was a rapist. Okay, so we're now we're not surprised why he did what he did with Chase. Now, there's one point that Brody and KC share a kiss and he doesn't attack her because she submitted to him. Okay, now the island operates off cause and effect. Uh, one current thing you hear is uh, the island uh, operates cause and effect. If you do anything against the rules of the island, the island will, will pay you back uh, as a result. Okay, whether good, bad, or indifferent. All right. The board decides to send her back to the island. Chase refuses to go. She puts up a fight. They drug her. They send her ass back. Now, there's one particular doctor that's rooting for Chase. This thing is much, much bigger than Chase. Okay. There's an agenda going on because you have the board versus the warden. And then you have Dr. Weiss, part of the board, against the warden. Okay, the warden's old school. He thinks criminals are criminals. They can't be re rehabilitated. Yada, 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 yada. The board wants to give these people a chance to, to redeem themselves. Okay, Dr. Weiss knows a little bit something more than, than what she's telling Chase, which will be revealed towards the end. Okay. Okay, Dr. Weiss tells Chase sometimes the journey isn't always physical and tells her to stay on her path. And she believes the warden is tampering with results of the simulation, which will be revealed later on. Okay, now. Okay, Chase, before they send her in, she breaks into the control room and she discovers the other nine inmates all in their simulator pools. Right. And she's like, what is this? What is this? And he's like, you know what it is, blah, 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 blah. So she's seen the behind the scenes of how they uh, the, the, the bodies are you know, sent into the simulator. Okay. Now episode four, she wakes back up in the simulator and on the Island. And the tribe says, she asked, well, how long was I out? They say, well, you were only out for 10 minutes. She said, that's impossible. I was out for days. <laughs> and they're like, okay, you, we hit you a little in the, on the head a little bit too hard. She's like, no, this is all not real. It's all fake. I talked to the warden. We're all in prison. Um, this is a simulation. They're playing with us. Yada, yada. This is not real. Now, of course, they don't they don't believe her. Maybe KC does at some point because she speaks with such conviction. And then there are certain points of references where she says, OK, well, how can you prove it? Of course, you can't prove it. All right. So then they don't believe her. OK, so the second person that has a flashback is Aiden. Another female. She's a black widow. She sets up men and kills them. So in her flashback there, she's in a car with the guy and she's like, hey, they kiss. 
and she stabs him in the neck. Goddamn. <laughs> so now as the uh okay. So then once again the tribe goes to attack Chase because they feel she's a threat. Two strangers all of a sudden show up. Is this not a ripoff of once again the TV series lost? People just start showing up randomly. Okay, so the two strangers, their names are called Bonnie and Clyde. So you know the fuck shit's in. So so they're like uh, so they come in. Is this those two versus the uh, the tribe? So Clyde's like he has, a, he has a he has a huge machete. He's like, what's going on here? Why are you guys trying to do this to her? What do you, what does she do? Why you why you uh, why are you guys attacking her? And they're like, hey man, you don't understand. This is you know you you, you weren't here. Where'd you guys come from? He's like, we came from the other side of the island. Okay, so then. No one can remember the names Bonnie and Clyde. Their minds have been wiped. Okay. For the most part, they don't, they don't like, they are like, that name sounds familiar, Bonnie and Clyde. Where have I heard that from? Okay. KC remembers Bonnie and Clyde. She's like, hey, they were criminals. And another person's like, oh, yeah, I remember. Yeah, they were bank robbers. Okay. Bonnie and Clyde are U.S. Marshals sent in to the simulator. Okay, Bonnie and Clyde were sent in at the behest of the warden. The warden sent them in to kind of corral the nonsense of what's going on with the tribe because there's a dead body. So they send in Bonnie and Clyde, the U.S. Marshals, to find out who killed Brody. Because on the island, cause and effect. If you take a life, you're going to lose a life. Vice versa, okay? So then... um, Bonnie and Clyde. Clyde said, like, yo, we want those the emergency boxes that, that you've been hiding, Chase. And so everyone else is like, what, what boxes are you talking about? And, and he's like, you know what boxes we're talking about, what we're after. So then Chase gives up the, the location of the boxes. The boxes had first aid kit. It had a 38 um, pistol. It had all types of shit, whatever the case may be. Okay. Um, Clyde reveals that they were sent in to make sure uh, the island justice is served. And tells the group they're in a simulation. So out the horse's mouth, he tells them flat out, this is a simulation. Uh, Chase gives up the box and then leaves for the other side of the island. Now, Clyde tells them, you cannot leave this island without our permission. And if you do so, it will be dire consequences. Okay. So then Chase runs back to the villa that her and Cooper found in episode two, I believe, right? K, uh, Cooper, KC, they also decide with permission to go find the other village. Mason, the nice guy, the nerd, has a flashback. This nigga <laughs> was a goddamn armed terrorist. He was a mass shooter. <laughs> <laughs> so as you start to understand, when they have flashbacks, these are all bad people. They're not there for just for shits and giggles, <laughs> okay? So he's a damn, he, he was a mass shooter. <laughs> All right. Okay. So then KC begins to have a flashback. And for whatever reason, we couldn't figure out why she was afraid of water. Okay. Okay. We couldn't figure out why she was afraid of water. So little by little, her story is being revealed. She was a, an abused wife with two little boys. Okay. There's a conversation between her and her lover. Okay. Flashback. 
That was the first part of the flashback. Then it goes on to something else. Chase returns back to the villa. Now we go to episode five. This is where things start to kind of ratchet up because we've got two episodes left. Uh, episode five, Casey, flashback, two kids married. Chase finds pictures of her and the dead lady in her particular flashback. Now, as the episodes go on, her, her flashback is revealed a little bit more, a little bit more. It shows her shooting the, the old lady in the head, which turns out to be her own mother. But there's a twist. Okay. Uh, Cooper finds uh, finds Chase after he was tracking uh, Bonnie and Clyde. So he found out what their what their real plans were. He goes to the villa. He finds Chase. Chase is going through stuff in the villa. Finds a picture of her and Cooper. Well, imagine that. So their backstory is they both were in the military together. He was her superior officer. He got injured in the mission. They got married. They had a farm in Texas. Okay. Now. Uh, okay, okay, okay. So then we get into... I'm sorry, you guys, bear with me. These notes are all over the place. Okay, so when you get the Blondie, Blondie's flashback. She's a short hair with the blonde hair, the sister. Um, her flashback was her man was a bank robber. She was his accomplice. She killed a random hostage. That's why she's in prison. Okay, then we get to KC. We go back to KC again. KC had an affair. The husband found out. He tried, he, he attempts to drown her in, in, the, in the kitchen sink. He lets her go. He says, you know what? You can have your divorce, but you'll never, ever see the boys again. No, she snaps. So she's in the car with the boys in the back seat. They're sleeping. She drives to the edge of the river. She drives the car into the fucking river with the two boys in the back seat sleeping. Of course, she got out. She goes to her back to the house. The husband comes home. He's like, where are the boys? She's standing there. She stabs herself as an, an attempted suicide. She tries to kill herself. This is why she's in prison. Donovan. Donovan is the motherfucker we thought died by the shark. He got ate, he got bit in the leg by the shark. We thought he got eaten earlier. He was washed up ashore. Chase gave him the meds. He's healed, right? Donovan's flashback. This nigga strangled his co-worker because she didn't want to be with him. <laughs> so so <laughs> he bought her flowers. And bought her a ring because in his mind, this was his woman and he, you know, he they were going to get married and all this extra shit. She's like, I don't even know you like that. So he follows her. She follows her into the bathroom and he's trying to profess his love to her, yada, yada, yada. And she's like, no, you, you, you. So he takes his tie and he strangles her in the bathroom. <laughs> That's why he's in prison. <laughs> Okay. All right. Um, Cooper finds Chase at the villa. There's a picture of Cooper, Chase, and the lady together. All right. Um, it shows that she shot a mother. Cooper recognizes Texas in the picture. Uh, Bonnie and Clyde find Taylor. Okay. And, oh, wait. Not, was it Taylor? 
it might have been Taylor. So Bonnie and Clyde, they kill the one girl. I forget her name. She was the one that killed Brody in front of everybody. Just like yeah, I told you, Island Justice, you know, you take a life, you get you lose a life. Um okay, okay. So no, Taylor, the blondie, she leaves the island without getting Bonnie and Clyde's permission. She ends up on one part of the island. There's a cannibal. They didn't know about the cannibal. She didn't know about the cannibal. So she passes out. She wakes up and her hands are in a bandage. She, you know, her wounds all been nursed. So the cannibal nursed her back to health, but her hands are in a bandage. There's a bowl in front of her. It says chicken soup. So her being hungry and famished and starving and shit and all beat up, she eats the chicken soup. Bonnie and Clyde show up. They're like, hey, man, um, we told you not to leave the island without our permission. What, what the fuck we got? We got to do you in. She's like, oh, my God, please. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Please don't kill me. Yada, yada, yada. Please don't kill me. And uh, Clyde says to her, you know, you know, that's a cannibal out here. And I mean, we're going to let you deal with the cannibal. And he says, uh, that chicken soup, there's no chickens on this island. <laughs> so they leave. <laughs> They leave her, right? And then she's she looks at the soup and then looks at her hand. <laughs> and then she realizes what was in the chicken soup. Okay. Goddamn. Episode six. <clears throat> Episode six. Now, Chase's flashback, drunken mom. Okay, this is Chase. Uh, her mother was a uppity Mexican lady. Right, uh, affluent, and, and there's one episode or there's one part when she has a flashback when she was getting bullied. She came home being bullied, and her, her mother was like, um, Don't ever let nobody bully you again, uh, don't be weak, yada yada. So, this makes her snap. So, she becomes like, You know, how some kids get bullied after a while, they become the bully, right? Um, so she goes to her, she becomes an MMA fighter. Um, she uh, joins the Marines. Her mother's like, are you even a woman down there? Her mother actually questioned her sexuality, tried to check her underwear to make sure she still had a vagina. So there's this, this serious tension between the mother and Chase. Um, okay, Donovan, back on the island. Donovan strangles Mason. For whatever reason, I don't know. I really don't give a shit. Honestly, sorry. Uh, Blair, the angel of death. Why is she in prison? This woman euthanized 25 people. So there's her flashback is she's having a discussion with the doctor. She's like, doc, these people are begging me to end their suffering. He's like, look, we're here to treat. Not, we're not, we're not Jack Kevorkians. So this woman makes it, makes the rounds, euthanizing all 25 of these dead, these dying people. That's why she's in prison. Now, after Donovan strangles Mason, right? Donovan likes Blair in the way he liked his co-worker. And he's like, you know, us together gets on one knee and all this extra shit. And so Blair's like, uh, yeah, okay. So she pulls out the, the, the flare gun, shoots Flair literally in the stomach, and he, he dies from the, from the, from the wound. Um, now, getting back to the flashback of Chase's mother. Chase's mom and Cooper are having an argument. 
I forgot to mention Cooper's face literally is disfigured because uh, it happened. He hit IUD or something uh, in while they were on a mission with, with Chase. So he's the, the disabled vet. Yada, yada. So his face is all just fucked up. So he's having an argument with, with Chase's mom. She's like, I never liked you. You can't do nothing for my daughter. You can't provide for her. He's like, look, just let us have the farm or some shit and we'll do our thing. And then the mother's like, no. And then somebody pulls out a gun. Oh, no, he pulls out a gun. Some No, she pulls out a gun. I don't know. He takes it from her. He ends up accidentally shooting a woman in the head. It was Cooper that shot Chase's mom in the head. This whole time, Chase thought she killed her own mom. Nope. So then. All right. Oh, wait, wait. Episode six. Okay. Bear with me. Bear with me, guys. Okay. So then Cooper's like, oh, my God, I remember what happened. I killed your mom. She's like, what do you mean you killed my mom? I killed my mom. He's like, no, we're having an argument. I took the gun, accidentally went off, yada, yada, yada. Now, they had surveillance on the island. Now, because of Cooper's admission, this basically lets Chase off the hook for the murder of her mother. Um, wait a minute. Okay, so then Bonnie and Clyde show up at the villa against... Chase and Cooper, they have a fight. So it's two on two. And they basically end up killing both Bonnie and Clyde. Okay. So then Chase wakes back up in prison. She's been exonerated. They let her know, hey, you know, we heard what happened. Um, Charges have been dropped. You're going to be exonerated. You're going to be free. Yada, yada, yada. Episode seven. Okay, so now the warden's pissed because the warden believes there's no redemption and rehabilitation of criminals. He wants Chase to go back into the uh, simulator because he just that's where he feels she, she belongs. Uh, then there's this whole cat and mouse between the Chase and the warden and the doctors. Um, so the warden is about to have Nurse Golding drug her back up to go back into the, uh, the simulator. Dr. Weiss walks in with the guards. They charged the warden with tampering with the simulator uh he's arrested now this is where all the fuck shit comes in dr weiss has a heart to heart with chase and chase is like well how long have i been in prison that's a fair question she says how long have i been in prison she says 25 years That ain't the bad part. <laughs> so she's trying to process. She's been in prison for 25 years. Then she's like, well, what about, what about Cooper? Can, what about, I can't leave without him. I, you know, that's my husband, you know, kind of a thing, you know, it was an accident. He said it was an accident. What can he do to get out? And the doctors are like, well, if he can redeem himself, himself in the Island, then he too can, can receive his freedom. Okay. So then, um, the other part is Dr. Chase hits her with a with a drug that will um, no longer block her avatar. Well, why do you why do you say avatar, Sly? So Chase looks at herself in the mirror. She's aged twenty five years. She's an old woman. This whole fucking time, <laughs> she's an old woman. <laughs> 
And she's like, who is this woman? This is not me. She's like, like, yes, this is you. That's your avatar. And she said, well, everyone else looks so young. She's like, that's those are their avatars as well, too. So then it shows when it, it when it when the avatar is off, it shows her as an old woman. And she said, this is what you see. This is this is what I look like. Not is like, yes, this, this is what you look like. <laughs> OK, so then Chase is looking back, whatever. She's about to be released. Now, the one doctor, the one, the white guy, he's like, look, for, forgiveness and redemption is the constant theme because you ready for this? Texas has been flooded. I say again, Texas has been flooded. Texas has been flooded so bad in this series that everybody pretty much resorted to a life of crime. They have so many criminals. As uh, uh, they have so many people in prison because of criminal behaviors, because of the natural disaster, because Texas has been flooded. This is and they want to give the, the, the prisoners a chance at redemption and forgiveness. Is Texas not being flooded right fucking now? Is there not like storms and places in Texas underwater right fucking now? Okay. So then Chase walks out of prison. Old woman, old face and everything. She's walking down the road. And up the road, you see a futuristic city surrounded by water. Okay. Then the warden. He wakes up in the island. And then Cooper and Casey are waiting for him. End scene. That was the island. I may have messed up, messed up a couple parts, but for the most part, 95% of what I just told y'all pretty much is accurate. <laughs> Once again, I didn't care about this series. But I'm glad I did watch this shit. Because the flooding part of Texas, that's fucked up. That is fucked up. <laughs> Everything is about timing. These people have to tell you it is in their creed and oaths to tell you what, what, the, what the plan is. That way you have a choice in the matter. And that's how they put you in a trick bag because you make a choice. Now, <laughs> I think I want to take a break right now before I get back to the second movie <laughs> breakdown. <laughs> Um, if you got, like I said, the first three episodes, it's slow. It picks up quite a bit and the, the little twist, you know, in case you, you don't see this, whatever, it, it was pretty interesting. Um, but like I said, I don't believe in coincidence. There's no way you're going to tell me, uh, this, this series was released during the time that Texas is actually having some serious floods. Uh, yeah. So with that being said, I'll be back in two and two after this, uh, this short break. You ain't missing nothing with the series, bro. You 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 you're not missing anything. <laughs> nah, you're not missing anything, man. I was Yeah, it's um I like I said, has someone not said anything out of me like I'm not, I don't care about this shit. So, you know. 
<laughs> it's called the it's called the island capital i hyphen l a n d yeah 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 it does i was like oh this is another another rehash i had a nice little twist to it but uh yeah i didn't care for loss i was pissed at that season finale or that series finale i was like this is some bullshit like you gave us Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the whole time. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Like I spent, I gave that show like five years of my life. And this is, this is, this is what the things I get. Like, this is how you're going to repay us, you know, for, for being loyal and watching this bullshit. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Okay. I sure do. Yes. It's a classic 1986 Night of the Creeps. <laughs> yes. Oh my goodness. Yes. Yes. Listen, the 80s, the best movies ever for all this dumb shit. <coughs> yeah. <coughs> yeah, I'm telling you. I'm telling you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
Okay. Yeah. No, it, no, it really didn't. It did not. Hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right? Say what now? Yes, yes. Man, you know, I know, right? People like, they love hate me for it. They're like, I hate you for doing it, but I'm so glad you told me if it's good or not. So. <laughs> You pray exactly, see? Exactly. Exactly. All right, welcome back to another rabble rousing episode of the Morning Star Show featuring Super Slot 75. You can always uh, first want to give a shout out to Rodna Boards, uh, the producer Cindy. Uh, you can always find us on www.onthewakeupradio.com. We're on SoundCloud, YouTube, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, and now iHeartRadio. The call in number is always is 646 547 1305. Also, please feel free to donate any amounts that will go to the website and airtime. It is a labor of love, but we still live in a costly world. If you appreciate the free content, please help us keep the message uncensored and free. You can always donate through PayPal at onthewakeupradio at gmail.com. Now, movie breakdown number two for the night is one of my personal favorites as a little kid and still as a grown-ass man. Night of the Creeps, 1986. Well, why, Sly? Why? Because it's about parasites, man. Listen, any movie about parasites is a win for me, okay? Hell, I might do Slither the next time. I don't know. So let's get into Night of the Creep, shall we? We have the opening scene. It, it, the opening scene is 1950, 1959. It's in black and white. There's an APB for Crest Ridge mental uh, resident that has escaped 
and has killed four people and is walking around with him uh, with an axe. Okay. Now, uh, there's a couple, Pam and Johnny. They're at like the lookout mountain doing what kids do at the lookout mountain. This cop walks up. His name's Ray. Uh, it was, he discovers, he knows Pam. Pam used to be his former high school sweetheart. Johnny's like, oh, you know that cop? He's, she's like, yeah, from high school. He's like, hey, you guys got to get out of here. There's an APB. There's a crazy man loose out here killing people. So then there's this asteroid that comes overhead and lands. So Johnny has the bright idea to go look for it and go see what it is. So Johnny and Pam drive off into some crazy wooded area to find this fallen asteroid. So Johnny parks, he gets out. And Pam's like, hey, man, um, you know, hurry up. You know, do we have to do this? Meanwhile, another APB comes out over the radio. Uh, the killer is in the same area that the asteroid fell in. Okay. Johnny is off in the woods. He sees this container of live parasites. Obviously, he does what motherfuckers do in movies. He got too close and got infected. And it affects you. It goes through your mouth. Okay. So then while she's like, Johnny, Johnny, right? Just Johnny's, just Johnny's fuck right now. You see the axe murderer walk up behind her. And he just hacks her to death. <laughs> right? <laughs> now we flash back. We flash forward to 1986. We have two college students named JC and Chris. JC is a cripple. He, uh, I think it's like either scoliosis or... Um, it never says what he had, what he actually has, but he has, he's on, he's on crutches or like not crutches, but like the walking sticks for, you know, kids with like broken spines and shit, that type of shit. They're best buds. Chris likes this girl named Cynthia. Um, Cynthia is dating the guy named Brad. Brad is the president of the betas. This is during formal week. So everyone's getting ready for formal week, picking and choosing their mates and dates who they're going to, you know, whatever the case may be, yada, yada, yada. All right, so then K JC and Chris had the bright idea of joining the betas to get in good with Brad, right? So the betas are like, Brad's like, okay, well, if you want to be in, be in the betas so bad, I need you to do something for me. They're like, well, we'll do anything to be to, to join the betas. He said, uh, I need you to go steal me a dead body from the, the, the campus laboratory. So they're like, uh, okay, now. The dead body that the campus has, the, 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 the laboratory has, is actually cryogenically frozen. The same body, it's, Don, it's Johnny's body from 1959 in cryostasis. Now, they didn't know he was infected by a parasite. They, they did not know. They never show what happened to the other parasites in the container as well. All right. So JC and Chris show up. They're like, oh, this is like a, uh, he's frozen. He's a cryogenically frozen body. I didn't know the university had one. Okay, this would be a cool, this Brad would be like, he'll like this. Well, let's steal this body. So they release the body, take it out of cryostasis. They're dragging the body out. The body grabs JC's hand. They both flip out and they run away. They run out. They chicken out the bet. Okay, so then the body, Johnny gets up and starts walking, walks out the campus. <laughs> he walks basically down the street to the Kappa uh, Delta house. This is the girl's sorority, 
right? This is the, the why it is the focal point of this movie. Hell if I know, but whatever. So Brad, I mean not Brad, but uh, Johnny the dead body. Um, he's dropping parasites wherever he goes and shit. And then he goes up to the window. He goes up to Cynthia's window. He smiles at her, and his head busts open, and parasites come out of it. So then the cops are called, and the same cop from 1959, Ray, he's now a detective. He's a detective, okay? So they call him, and they're like, oh, there's a dead body. This is the same dead body from the university. Well, how did they get here? Right? Okay. Now, before the dead body walks out of the uh, the laboratory, the scientist was coming to check on the body because he does his monitoring. He's the first one to be infected. Okay? So then, wait, wait, I'm just gonna my notes. I'm sorry. So the body, 58. I'm gonna free copy 50. And then foreign cops. Okay. So they they're looking for one corpse. They're missing a corpse, right? Which they found it with at, at the at the sorority house. So then the scientist's dead body is at the morgue in the university. This is all at the university. The university has everything, right? The scientist's dead body gets up, walks out. Walks past the cop because the cop is in his paper. He's he's not even paying any attention. He's like, "Hey, have a good night." And you see that the, the the scientist literally eyes in the back of his head. His throat's been open. He's got scissors hanging out his <laughs> neck, and he's bloodied. And he's just walking. He infects the Asian. Nope. Before that, before he even does that, wait a minute. He gets up and walks out. He falls out. So, and then when you fall out, the head busts open and, and, and the parasites spread. So at one point, the detective called in JC and Chris for questioning about these bodies. He's like, hey, man, it wasn't us. We chickened out. The body grabbed a man's hand and we left. And, and the Asian guy is like, yeah, I saw you guys running out screaming like banshees. So they let him go. The Asian guy goes back into his workspace. He becomes infected after he comes across the body of the dead scientist. So then they find a dead scientist body and they're like, what the fuck is going on here? Okay. So then, uh, the, the, the dead Asian guys walking around, right. He comes, he shows up later. So now the, 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 the parasites are on college campus running around town, infecting whoever the case may be, if need be. The one parasite goes into the house, uh, mother's, uh, cottage. Okay. So detective Ray, Flashback to 1959, he walks up on the axe murderer butchering his his former high school sweetheart. And then he shoots him in the chest with the shotgun, kills him, buries his body on campus where the house mother's den sits on top of. Okay. The parasite, one of the parasites actually goes into the house mother's den. So then the house mother's sitting there watching TV. And she hears a knock and then another knock and then another knock. The dog gets freaked out. So then the house mother is just sitting there looking and this, and the dead body axes his way, uses his axe to cut through the wood, comes about the ground <laughs> and hits and, and hits in the head. Right. And just kills her and chop starts chopping her up. Detective Ray gets the call. After the, the, the axe murderer has left, all the cops show up. He's like, look, because he remembers who this, he, he knows what happened. 
he just doesn't know how it happened. He just remembers the body, the dead body, the axe murder. So he has flashbacks all over again from 1959. He's like, he tells the cops, survey the area. He's got to be around here somewhere, yada, yada, yada. So then there's two cops doing a patrol and they're driving. And this is the part, to me, the most scariest part of the fucking movie. So the cop driving, the one guy, you know, the partner's at the spotlight and he's driving. And he says, what, what was that? Stop the car. He said, what do you mean? Would you see anything? You see the axe murder walk up. And grabbed the cop on his chest. And his partner hits the gas. Peels out. And then the, he swings the axe and it clips the car. And you see the sparks and shit. That shit terrified the fuck out of me. So then he. And then and the then detective's talking to. Uh, talking to, uh, che, uh, to Chris. And he's like. Detective we got the call. And you hear the cop. We got him. We got him cornered. He's, he's in the alley. He's in the alley. So all the cops go. They get him. And you see the axe murder just walking. With the axe. Right. And then they all surround him. He's in the, he's in the alley. And then uh, he turns around, right? And mind you, he's a fucking skeleton at this point. No eyes and shit. He turns around. All the cops <laughs> shoot their little pistols at him and shit. And he's still standing. So then the detective walks up. He says, I killed you. I killed you before I'm going to kill you again. He smiles at the detective. And the detective shoots him in the head with a shotgun. Heads explode. Parasites go everywhere. They're all just scurrying, scurrying, scurrying. Okay. Back to Chris and J.C. They're walking with Cynthia because now Cynthia likes Chris a little bit, whatever. She's like, hey, you know, I want you to go to the former with me. You know, Brad's a jerk, yada, yada, yada. He's like, okay, cool. That'd be awesome. Cool, 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 cool. So then JC's like, I'm going to go to the bathroom. He goes to the bathroom in the laboratory, in the lab, where the lab is at. He's on the toilet. And then here comes the dead Asian, the infected Asian. He goes into the bathroom. He falls out. And you can hear the, the, the parasites scurrying around the floor. Okay, so JC's like, what the fuck is this? He hears the stuff, and then he uh, sees a book of matches. He tries to grab the matches, and he sees one go across his hand. He freaks out, grabs the matches, lights the match, and then and then the parasite hits it and catches on fire. And he's like freaking out. He doesn't know what to do. He doesn't want to know. So then one parasite goes up his leg, his pant leg. So he jumped, he busts out. Now, mind you, he's pretty much a cripple without the, without the crutches. He's on his hands and knees, crawling in, trying to get out. And so the one parasite goes right into his mouth, right into his mouth. Okay. So that he's done. All right. So then we get to back to Cynthia and Chris, blah, blah, blah. Right. Detective is drinking again in his home flashbacks of what happened, trying to figure out how did this happen? Blah, blah, blah. Now, JC leaves a tape message for Chris. Chris is getting ready for formal. He's got his tux and everything. And then he plays the tape because he, he doesn't know where JC is. He, he asks early, has anyone seen JC? He's like, no, no one's seen him yesterday. So he plays the tape. And it's JC on the tape. He says, uh, let me see. He says, uh, doesn't he says, he says, uh, I've been infected. It's in it's inside me. He says, I don't have a pulse or a heartbeat. I think I'm dead. And he says, fire will kill it. I killed one with fire. Right. And then he says, I can feel it in my brain. So what it does, it goes to the brain, lays eggs in your brain. And while you're walking around, it incubates. Okay. So he says, I'm going to go to the furnace and, and uh, end it. And he says, I love you. Right. So of course, Chris is like, what the fuck? Goes down to the furnace and sees JC's dead body, head exploded, 
with the dead parasites around it because he, he went to the furnace. All right. So then Chris runs to, to go to the detective. He says, look, man, my friend's dead. This is what they do. Uh, they're slugs, parasites. They get in your brain and they affect you, yada, yada, yada. So then they go to now why they went to the Delta house, the Kappa Delta house makes no sense to me. Fine. There's a dog. The house mother's dog became infected. This dog is running around the streets. Okay. So now you see the scene where all the, the frat brothers, the betas are getting ready to go pick up the girls for their dates on a bus. You know, so as they're driving towards uh, the, the Kappa Delta house, the dog is in the middle of the street. So the bus driver driving and he sees the dog, the dog turns around and his face is all fucked up. It's clearly infected. He swerves to avoid hitting the dog and crashes into a truck. Everybody in this motherfucker is dead. <laughs> the dog goes through the, the bus, infecting all the dead bodies, all the dead dates. So then um, Chris, uh, Cynthia, and Detective all go to the Delta house. He's like, look, this is how we kill it. We get we, we fire, whatever. Fire kills the things. So the Detective grab a, grabs a flamethrower from the, from the cop lockup. Right. So Cynthia has the has the, the flamethrower. Uh, Ray and Chris have shotguns and the plan is to shoot him in the head and then set him on fire. OK. So then all the dead bodies. Walk towards the Kappa Delta house and detective says, uh, ladies, I got good news. And I got bad news for you. He says, uh, your dates are here, but they're all dead. <laughs> this can't be shit. It's 1986. <laughs> so then. They all trying to break in, whatever. They start killing them off one by one, shooting the, the, the dead bodies, whatever the case may be. And then um, he says, lady, everybody get out, get out the house, get out the house, get out the house. Chris and JC are on the side of the house fighting off the, uh, the you know, the dead bodies or whatever the case may be. Um, so then there's like, where are they going to? Why do they keep running off to the, what's in the basement? And Cynthia remembers, oh, my God, my friend's science experiment uh, had human brains. I told her to put the human brains in the basement. Okay, that's where they're going, to the basement. They clear out the house. They kill all the dead the dead bodies, the dead guys again. So then Chris and JC are on their way down to the basement. Ray is already down there with a can of gasoline. He says, look, I'll take care of it. You guys got 20 seconds to get out. No, you know, I'm not, I'm not asking you to do it. So he starts cutting down from 20. And they get out. And they're starting, as they get out to the house, they're counting with him, counting 20, 19, 18, 17, 16, whatever. So he's dousing the entire basement, whatever the case may be. Um, so then it gets down to like three, two, one. He turns on the gas line and then the, the parasites are in the corner and they, they see what he's doing and they all attack him all at once. He lights the lighter and the house goes up. Kaboom, right? Okay. So now after the fact, cops and emergency workers come in and the aftermath uh, Cynthia and Chris share, uh, share a kiss, right? So then, off the side, you see Ray. And Ray's body, dead body, burned and charred, right? Um, walking, smoking a cigarette. The body falls out. The head splits open. The parasites run out. The parasites run to an adjacent cemetery. That's literally next door. Okay, okay. So then now here's the weird, the weird thing with this movie. This movie had two alternate endings, two different endings. So then this version, 
as uh, the parasites are in the, in the, in the go to the, the graveyard, you see a spotlight and then an alien ship hovers over flashing a spotlight looking for the parasites. That's the first one in scene. The second one that if those that remember this movie probably would have seen more than anything else, the same little dog after Chris and JC, I mean, after Chris and, and Cynthia had their kiss, the same little dog walks up to Cindy and uh, Cynthia. And she's like, Oh, what a nice little dog. And the dog shoots out a, a parasite at her in that's the end of it. So, uh, <laughs> that was night of the creeps. All my old heads, only my old heads know about this movie. It's like it came on like USA up at all, up at, up all night or something like that on like on the USA channel back in the day. Um, I liked it. I just why I wanted to do a review on it and breakdown because you know parasites, whatever the case may be. So yeah, that was night of the creeps. The first hour is down. The next hour, um, we're going to talk about a couple topics. Not go crazy with it. But yeah, so Sidney Gottlieb, uh, if you're a fan of MK Ultra and the CIA and LSD type stuff, you'll know who Sidney Gottlieb is. Sidney Gottlieb, uh, let me get into it real quick. Here he is. Okay, so the during the, the Cold War, the CIA became convinced that communists had discovered a drug or technique that would allow them to control human minds. In response, the CIA... The CIA began its own secret program called MK Ultra to search for a mind control drug that could be weaponized against enemies. Uh, the MK Ultra that we all know uh, operated from the 50s until the early 60s was created and run by a chemist named Sidney Gottlieb. Okay, some of Gottlieb's experiments were very were, were covertly funded at universities and research centers. Uh, others were conducted in American prisons and in detention centers in Japan, Germany, and the Philippines. Uh, many of his unwitting subjects endured psychological torture, ranging from electroshock to high doses of LSD. Uh, Gottlieb wanted to create a way to seize control of people's minds, and he realized it, it was a two-part process. First, you had to blast away the existing mind. Second, you had to find a way to insert a new mind into that resulting void. Uh, we didn't get too far on number two, but he did a lot of work on number one. Uh, see... Okay, ultimately, Gottlieb concluded that mind control was not possible after MKUltra shut down. He went on to lead the, the CIA program that created poisons and high-tech gadgets for spies to use. As part of the search for drugs that would allow people to control the human mind, CIA scientists became aware of the existence of LSD. And this became an, an obsession for the early directors of MKUltra. Actually, the MKUltra director, Sidney Gottlieb, can, oh, got a caller. All right. Uh, we'll, we'll we'll roll the dice. We'll roll the night. Yeah, we'll take it. Right, call, it call it. What's happening? Hello, caller. Hello. Uh, okay. I guess he's being shot tonight. Yeah. Oh, it's the same guy from last week. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, well, uh, <laughs> all right, we'll uh, we'll dismiss this call.
No more anonymous. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He fucked up for everybody. He fucked up for everybody. <laughs> yeah, he, he fucked it up. He fucked it up. Oh, my goodness. Uh, all right. Back to the article. As part of the search for drugs that would allow people to control the human mind, uh, they became aware of the LSD. Yada, yada, yada. Okay. Actually, the MK Ultra director, Sidney Gottlieb, can now be seen as the man who brought LSD to America. He was the unwitting godfather of the entire LSD counterculture. In the 19 early or the early 1950s, he arranged for the CIA to purchase $240,000 to buy the world's entire supply of LSD. He brought this to the United States and he began spreading it around to hospitals, clinics, prisons and other institutions, asking them through bogus foundations to carry out research projects and find out what LSD was how people reacted to it and how it might be able to be used as a tool for mind control. Now, the people who volunteered for these experiments and began taking LSD in many cases found it to be pleasurable. They told friends about it. Okay. 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 So Robert Hunter, the lyricist for the Grateful Dead, which went on becoming a great purveyor of LSD culture. Allen Ginsberg, the poet who preached the value of the great personal adventures of using LSD, got his first LSD from Sidney Gottlieb. Uh, okay, Whitey Bulger was one of the prisoners who volunteered for what he was told was an experiment aimed at finding a cure for schizophrenia. Also, part of this experiment, he was given LSD every day for more than a year. He later realized this had nothing to do with schizophrenia, and he was a guinea pig in a government experiment aimed at seeing what people's long-term reactions to LSD was. Bulger wrote afterwards he his experiences which he described as quite horrific. He thought he was going insane. He wrote, I was in prison for committing a crime, but they committed a greater crime on me. And towards the end of his life, Bolger came to realize the truth of what had happened to him. And he actually told his friends that he was going to find a doctor in Atlanta who was the head of the experiment program in the penitentiary and kill him. Um, the CIA mind control project was essentially a continuation of work that began in Japanese and Nazi concentration camps. Not only was it roughly based on those experiments, but the CIA actually hired the, the vivisectionists and the torturers who had worked in Japan and in Nazi concentration camps to come and explain what they had found out so they, they could build in their research. Eesh. So, for example, Nazi doctors had conducted extensive experiments with mescaline at the Deicho uh, concentration camp, and the CIA was very interested in figuring out whether mescaline could be the key to mind control. That was one of their big avenues of investigation. So they hired the Nazi doctors who had been involved in that project to advise them. Another thing is that Nazis provided was information about poison gases like sarin, which is still being used to this day. Nazi doctors came to America to Fort Detrick in Maryland, which was the center of this project to lecture CIA officers to tell them how long it took for people to die from sarin. Gottlieb and other CIA established uh, secret detention centers throughout Europe and East Asia, particularly in Germany, Japan, and the Philippines, which were largely under American control in the period of the early 1950s. And therefore, Gottlieb didn't have to worry about any legal entanglements in these places. CIA officers in Europe and Asia were also capturing enemy agents and others who felt they might be suspected persons or what otherwise they were called expendables. They would grab these people, throw them into cells, and then test all kinds of drug potions on them. But other techniques such as electroshock, extreme temperatures, uh, sensory isolation, and in the meantime, bombarding them with questions, trying to see if they could break down the resistance and find a way to destroy the human ego. 
So these were projects designed not only to understand the human mind, but also to figure out how to destroy it. And that made God leave, although in some ways a very compassionate person, certainly the most prolific torturer of his generation. Uh, Gottlieb operated almost completely without supervision. He had sort of a checkoff from his titular boss and from his real boss, Richard Helms, and from the CIA director, Alan Dulles. But none of them really wanted to know what he was doing. This guy had a license to kill. He was allowed to requisition human subjects across the United States and around the world and subject them to any kind of abuse that he wanted, even up to the level of being fatal. Yet nobody looked over his shoulder. He never had to file serious reports to anybody. Uh, let's see. Okay. The end of Gottlieb's career came in 1972 when his patron, Richard Helms, who was the then director of the CIA, was removed by Nixon. Once Helms was gone, it was just a matter of time until Gottlieb would be gone. And most important what was that Helms was really the only person at the CIA who had an idea of what Gottlieb was really doing. So as they were both on their way out of the CIA, they agreed that they should destroy all records of MK Ultra. Gottlieb actually drove out to the CIA Records Center and ordered the archives to be destroyed, entire boxes full. However, it turns out there were some records found in other places. There was a depot for expense account reports that had not been destroyed and various other pieces of paper remain. Uh, so there is enough evidence out there to reconstruct some of what he did, but his effort to wipe away his traces by destroying all the documents in the early 70s was quite successful. That is how we got LSD. Um, another article I came across, which I thought was interesting, might be old to you guys. Uh, the cannibalism thing. So now, is this is kind of a two-parter. So there is a guy. Let me see. Scientists suggest eating human flesh to fight climate change. A Swedish scientist speaking at Stockholm Summit uh, last week offered an unusual possible tactic in combating global change, eating human flesh. Stockholm School of Economics and professor re researcher Magnus Soderlund reportedly said he believes eating human meat derived from dead bodies might be able to help save the human race, if only in a world where to awaken to the idea. Soderlund's argument for human cannibalism was front and center during a panel talk called, Can You Imagine Eating Human Flesh? Some of the talking points at the seminar included whether humans were too selfish to live sustainably and if cannibalism is the solution to food sustainability in the future. When asked during an interview after his talk if he would personally try human flesh, Sutherland said he was open to the idea. I feel somewhat hesitant to not appear overly conservative. I'd have to say I'd be open to at least tasting it, he told Swedish TV. He suggested more plausible options such as eating pets and insects. Before human meat becomes the next cuisine trend, however, history shows there are potential health risks to cannibalism. Now, here's, here's what I'm going to get into. A tribe in Papua New Guinea practiced eating their dead as an alternative to allowing them to be consumed by worms. The cultural practice led to an epidemic of a disease called Kuru, also known as Laughing Death. The disease is caused by an infectious protein found in contaminated human brain tissue. The practice of cannibalism among the people of New Guinea came to an end in 1960. Now, let's get into the laughing disease. Okay, so most people of the world didn't know anyone lived in the highlands of Papua New Guinea until the 1930s, when Australian gold prospectors surveying the area realized there were about a million people there. Uh, when researchers made their way to the, the villages in the 1950s, they found something disturbing. Among a tribe of 11,000 people called the Foray, up to 200 people a year had been dying of an inexplicable illness 
they had called disease kuru, which means shivering or trembling. Once symptoms set in, it was a swift demise. First, they'd have trouble walking, a sign that they were uh, about to lose control over their limbs. They'd also lose control over their emotions, which is why people called it the laughing death. Within a year, they couldn't get up off the floor, feed themselves, or control their bodily functions. The disease primarily hit adult women and children younger than the age of eight. In some villages, there were almost no young women left. They were obsessed with trying to save themselves because they knew demographically they were on the brink of extinction. But what was causing it? The answer eluded researchers for years after ruling out an exhaustive list of contaminants. They thought it must be genetic. So in 1961, traveled to traveled from village to village, mapping family trees so researchers could settle the issue. But Lindenbaum who continued to write about the epidemic, knew it couldn't be genetic because it affected women and children in the same social groups, but not in the same genetic groups. She also knew that it had started in the villages in the north around the turn of the century and then moved south over the decades. Lindenbaum had a hunch about what was going on, and she turned out to be right. It had to do with funerals. Specifically, it had to do with eating dead bodies at funerals. In many, many villages, when a person died, they would be cooked and consumed. It was an act of love and grief. If the body was buried, it was eaten by worms. If it was placed on a platform, it was eaten by maggots. The foray believed it was much better that the body was eaten by people who loved the deceased than by worms and insects. Women removed the brain, mixed it with ferns, and cooked it in tubes of bamboo. They fire-roasted and ate everything except the gallbladder. It was primarily adult women who did so because their bodies were thought to be capable of housing and taming the dangerous spirit that would accompany a dead body. So the women took on the role of consuming the dead body and giving it a safe place inside their own body, taming it for a period of time during this dangerous period of mortuary cer ceremonies. But women would occasionally pass pieces of the feast to the children as snacks. They ate what their mothers gave them, she says, until the boys hit a certain age and went off to live with the men then they were told not to touch that stuff. Finally, after urging the researchers like Lindenbaum, biologists came around to the idea that the strange disease stemmed from eating dead people. The case was closed after a group of U.S. National Institutes of Health injected a human brain into chimpanzees and watched the symptoms of Kuru develop in the animals months later. The group won a Nobel Peace Prize for the findings, dubbed it the slow virus. But it wasn't a virus or bacterium fungus or parasite. It was an entirely new infectious agent, one that had no genetic material, could survive being boiled, and wasn't eaten alive. As another group of fine years later, it was just a twisted protein capable of performing the microscopic equivalent of a Jedi mind trick, compelling normal proteins on the surface of nerve cells in the brain to contort just like them. The so-called prions uh, would eventually misfold enough proteins to kill pockets of nerve cells in the brain leaving the cerebellum riddled with holes like a sponge. The process was so odd that some compared it to uh, Jekyll and Hyde's transformation. The same entity, but in two manifestations, a kind innocuous one and a vicious lethal one. The epidemic likely started in when one person at the Foray village developed a sporadic uh, disease, a degenerative neurological disorder similar to Kuru. Uh, about one in a million people in the U.S. developed CJD. The difference is that others rarely come into contact with infected human tissue. Although Foray stopped the practice of mortuary feasts more than 50 years ago, 
cases of Kuru continue to surface over the years because the prions could take decades to show their effects. A medical researcher at Curtin University in Australia who tracked Kuru cases for decades, the last person with Kuru died in 2009. His team continued surveillance until 2012 when the epidemic was officially declared over. I have followed up a few rumored cases since then, but they were not Kuru, he wrote in an email. But while they remain rare, transmissible prion diseases did not die out with the last Kuru case. As people have found repeatedly in recent decades, people who have developed variant CJD after eating the meat of cattle infected with mad cow disease, a prion disease researcher with the Centers of Disease Control and Prevention, says that the only scenario in which there is a definitive evidence that humans can develop a prion disease after eating the infected meat of other of another species. But he says there are still a lot of open questions about why humans get prion diseases. For one, it's still a mystery why animals, including humans, have these proteins in the first place. One leading hypothesis described recently in the journal Nature is that they play an important role in protective coding around the nerves. But the bigger question is how many of these diseases actually jump species and affect humans? Uh, I'm not going to get this a pretty lengthy. Article. It's deep. It's deep. Don't eat dead people at the end of the day. Eating dead people is bad. Um, yeah. Okay, you know what? Someone asked me to do this story. Oh, my God. I can't believe I'm going to do this. All right. I'm going to talk about this real brief. This is a sad, sad story. Okay. Detroit woman facing nine charges for shooting wife 11 times. Sounds random, right? Okay. They're like, okay, that's not a, that's not a big deal. Slide. Let me tell you why the story is kind of a big deal. <laughs> Wait. A woman is facing nine nine years for allegedly shooting her wife 11 times when she said they would they should get a divorce tiffany wallace was arrested for shooting her wife of 12 years after she initially said she needed to get a divorce because i can handle a lot of things but i cannot handle handle infidelity she said that's when her wife snapped here we go are y'all ready she shot me four times in my vagina four times in my leg three times in my stomach wallace said Ariane said somehow she made it out of the house conscious. I had to gather as much strength as I could to get down my stairs and get outside because the neighbors had heard it. As soon as I opened the door, there was already people out there. I said, please help. Can you call the police? Police arrested Tiffany Wallace in front of their home and said Tiffany told them the shooting was done in self-defense. She was charged with assault with intent to murder, assault with a dangerous weapon, domestic violence, carrying a concealed weapon, three charges of felony firearm, discharging of weapon in the building, and interfering with a crime report. She wanted me to die because she has always felt if she can't have me, no one else can. The family of Ariane Wallace has started a GoFundMe account. There are pictures. It looks pretty bad. Um, the shooting in her vagina tells me that's a, uh, what is that? What can I going to say this? That's like, a, like, that's like, you're trying to ruin the best part of a person so that no one else can enjoy it. So that there's a psychosis with that. Her shooting the woman in the vagina. Uh, yeah. This is what we do out here in these streets. Detroit, hold this L. <laughs> Yo, let me talk about uh, real quick Takashi 69 I, I made a video about it earlier today. Um, are we really surprised at what, at what this kid is saying? Uh, at the end of the day, I think he, I believe he was a paid informant. 
Um, I believe they already had the, the, the six, nine bloods under investigation. It's need somebody to get in close enough to do so. And what better way than a rapper? Um, let's be honest. Rappers are the biggest, or one of the biggest um, uses in, in, in law enforcement when it comes to, you know, committing or setting up crime, you know, setting up sting operations. Like there's a long history, history of rappers uh, being former informants and, and correctional officers and, and all this extra shit. Like this is not nothing new. Unfortunately, uh, the street culture, what, you know, there's no G code. The G code has been dead for a long time. Uh, shout out to faces by pureness. Thank you for the uh, super chat, hon. Thank you. Um, like I said, I, I, I kind of feel bad for the kid. I don't think he realized how bad it was going to get for him. Okay. Cause you know, if you ever been in the format, which I never have, but they always say, it's not going to be as bad as you, you think it is. This is not going to happen to you. Yada, yada, yada. Um, I don't feel bad him, him telling on people, um, this gang culture has ruined millions of people's lives. I don't, I don't care what gang you subscribe to for the most part. Uh, when you think about gang culture, you think death, violence, destruction. I don't think about per se building uh, or maintaining or uh, inspiring positive thoughts and vibes in our communities. So um, I, he's an easy scapegoat at this point. It's too easy to, to look at him and say, okay, he's the problem. No, he's not the problem. He's just pointing out the, what the problem is. The problem is you niggas over there <laughs> that somehow engage in this said behavior and think it's okay. Um, I had no dog in this fight uh, with Takashi 69 uh, Like I said, it had it'd be the regular Joe Blow in the same position. Uh, a lot of us would be we'd be like, yeah, they did it to me. That it was them over there. So um, this is why I say throw hip hop in the trash, y'all don't. Listen, when's the last time you heard a rock guy, a jazz guy, classical pianist, any any other genre of music? When have you last time you ever heard of them <laughs> engage in some shit like this ever? Now, don't get me wrong. You've had musicians do some fuck shit and go on the stand and tell on people. But this was a huge gang task uh, uh, investigation. This is not no, this was not small fry. This is like a huge task force. And when the feds come in, it's a problem. Okay. This is not a state issue. This is not a local, it's just the feds. So when the feds come in, that means a lot of money is going to be spent, a lot of time uh and man hours will be spent just monitoring and gathering evidence. Uh people don't understand when the feds come in, their main thing is to uh observe and report. And they have m- more money to spend than anybody. They have all the manpower to to to, to wait you out, per se. And um, this is another black eye for hip hop. You have a kid with rainbow color hair, basically, <laughs> you know, um, telling on the I guess the biggest and the baddest of of Treyway Bloods. Like, come on, you guys are like clowns right now. I'm, yeah, Takashi's a clown. But you blood niggas right now, not even just blood niggas in general, just gang members, period. Y'all look stupid to the rest of us at, at this point, you know. Um, it, I'm done with hip-hop. I've been saying I've been done with hip-hop. Y'all can keep supporting this bullshit if you want to. Uh, but these folks are going to show you how silly your, your, the, musical, the music culture has, has become, how diluted, uh, how much of a joke it's turned into. 
Um, if you really believe Cardi B, Cardi B's a blood nigga, like does she look like the type to really put in some work? I mean, it's to the point now that they're so thirsty and hungry for money, right? Could you ever? You, could you imagine you paying the mob to say I'm in the mob, right? At at the best, you'd pay for protection for the mob, but the mob would never allow you to say, "Oh, you're part of the mob." You're you you're you're made. No, even the mob had uh, regulations to 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 entertainers. You know, like uh, the Rat Pack, they were protected by the mob. Remember when Giacana wanted to kill Frank Sinatra, right? They wanted to, he wanted to kill Frank Sinatra, and then someone's like, "Nah, I like his I like his voice." Okay, you could never have gotten you gotten away with no shit. Like only in hip hop can guys like Chris Brown. Lil Wayne and Baby, Cardi. Only in hip hop could you buy your way into a fucking game and become affiliated. That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. You can you buy your way into the Aryan, uh, the Aryan Nation, or I tell you what, uh, the Hell's Angels. Can you ever buy your way into the Hell's Angels? Let me tell you how deep the Hell's Angels shit is. So there's a a, a rocker that I, I particularly like. He used to play with Black Sabbath. Um, He's got a long ass beard. I forget his name, man. He got a long ass beard. He's from Jersey. His real name is Jeffrey. Uh, Zach Wild. Zach Wild. Great, great guitarist. Um, he he he's a tough guy. Don't get me wrong. Okay, so the story goes: Zach Wild had a, a patch, a leather jacket patch, and his his game his his his, his group is called Black Label Society. It's called BLS, Black Label Society, right? And he had a patch and it looked awfully close to the Hell's Angels patch. The Hell's Angels was like, um, change a patch. Okay. We don't like what you're, you're not a part of the Hell's Angels. Change a fucking patch. Okay. Zach being Zach, it's like, fuck y'all. I'm, you know, I think I, it, listen, Zach's no punk. I met the dude in real, he's no punk. His real name's Jeffrey, but he's no punk. All right. He's a real dude. He's a solid dude. He's a man's man. It got so bad that the Hell's Angels were sending people to his shows and, and, and fucking it up for him. And a few people got shot and stabbed and shit. So eventually, eventually, Zach folded and changed his patch to less liken the, the resemblance to the Hell's Angels. Okay. Um, what I'm saying is, only in hip hop could this shit be allowed to happen. Okay. Only in the hip hop culture where your gang members will take monies to let artists uh, perpetrate uh, a narrative that, you know, these gangs have laid down. Listen, if I'm a gang member and I done put in mad work, you know, I done, I done my time for my set. You mean to tell me this nigga give y'all a couple hundred grand and, and, and get the same rights and privileges as me, as someone who's put in the actual work, and then run around here throwing up the signs? I personally would be offended. Deep, I would be deeply offended. I might even leave the fucking gang if, the, if it came out to that. Like, this is where it's come down to. So, um, no, only, only niggas do nigga shit. So, um, if I'm a blood right now, hold, y'all got to hold that fucking L. Y'all look real dumb. Y'all look real fucking dumb. And Takashi just is just showing y'all the fuck shit and just 
oh my god, yeah, the hip hop culture has been co-opted and 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 culture vultured to death. That this this is my opinions. Throw it in the trash. Throw it in the trash. That's just my opinions. Uh, with that being said, I'm gonna take a, a real quick break, and then we'll and uh, follow up for the next uh, half hour, and then that should be it. Yeah, I can hear you. Did he? Huh. He'll be okay. <laughs> That's what it sounds like. That is what it sounds like. That's hilarious. Nah. Yeah. Yeah. It's 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 we're a laughing stock, man. It's we're a laughing stock. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Brother, I don't know, man. I don't know. Man, this is where the phone calls will come in. (laughs) 
This is what a phone call to come save my ass. <laughs> oh my gosh, I know, right? <laughs> right. Oh shit. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know what? I I can't help if they they latch on and you know, I don't I that I know I no control over that. God bless him. God bless him. Yeah, I, I respect it. <laughs> mm hmm. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. How many men left in this uh in in this song? You know what? Can we cut that? Can we just cut it and I can just go into it real quick? Because I mean, I only got about twenty minutes left. If that, fifteen. All right. Cool. All right, yo, welcome back to uh <clears throat> the Morning Star Show featuring Super Slot Seventy Five. I'm gonna run through this real quick. Uh, call in number six four six five four seven one three zero five. 
visit us on www.onthewakeupradio.com. We're also on SoundCloud, YouTube, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, now iHeartRadio. Also find uh, On The Wake Up Radio on YouTube. Subscribe for all the shows, shows past, present, future, all that good stuff. Let me run through this last article that I totally forgot about because, goddamn, it's in the title. Um, Organism 46B. Um, so let me get into it. Uh, <clears throat> let me see, where is it? Organism 46B. Organism 46B. Okay. Um, according to reports and leaks from a former member of the project, Dr. Anton Padelka, a discovery of a 14-armed octopus would prove a breakthrough. Uh, upon learning of the authorities' plans to use this discovery for military purposes, Padelka would seek sanctuary in Switzerland. Uh, once there, he began to divulge what, they, what he knew, the secret activities taking place at Lake Vostok. Lake Vostok is a newly discovered lake in Russia. Um, they say there's uh, underneath other lakes underneath. It's huge. It's fucking huge. Isn't that, you know. Okay, so the octopus-like entity would prove to be elusive, deceptive, and deadly. It was referred to and eventually catalog- cataloged as Organism 46B. This newly discovered uh, creature is similar to a, the glass octopus, its nearest relative in the aquatic world. However, organism 46B is much more evolved. According to Padalka, it has the ability to paralyze with its venom. And what's more, it can do so from 150 feet away. Uh, one of its more remarkable abilities is that it has the art of camouflage. Or more to the point, in this case, its ability to change its form although altogether to mimic other creatures. According to their research, the creature has morphed into 15 other aquatic species. It is the 16th one. However, that is the most intriguing and the grimmest part of it. During the observation mission, Padelka and other unnamed marine biologists came across another member of their crew in the area. By the time the crew member had resumed the form of the octopus 46B that it it actually was, the biologist had been ripped to pieces by this deadly creature using their most agile crew member, Dr. Martin Kalashnik, as bait, the unit would eventually capture the creature. According to Badalka, though as soon as they brought it to the surface, Russian security personnel took charge of it, confiscating it for security. Um, According to Badalka, Russian authorities plan to weaponize the paralyzing venom as well as the shape-shifting properties of Organism 46B. Uh, all official, all press releases uh, would completely leave out the incident. The entrance to the facility, one that took over a decade to construct, was suddenly sealed shut. Uh, this is all basically in the same area as the secret Nazi base of 211, right? They claimed secret, this secret base is the, the interest to, one of the entrances to enter Earth at the South Pole. Let me run through this. Just bear with me. Okay. You know what? I'm going to skip that. I'm going to skip it. I'm going to freestyle the rest of it. Call in number is, as always, is 646-547-1305. I guess I'm going to end this on a rant for the most part. Yeah. More child track, sex trafficking stuff. The whole um, Kevin Spacey uh, ordeal. Um, Now you have Aaron Carter accusing his sister of abusing him from uh, ages to what uh, eight to eight to eight to fifteen, 
Uh, Aaron Carter, if you guys don't know, Aaron Carter is the younger brother, Nick Carter, from a Backstreet Boy. Um, that's an ugly situation in, in itself. So um, also, uh, you, you see, you're seeing more and more parents uh, of color uh, exploiting their children online. Uh, what I'm talking about is, of course, the parents of Zaza. And now you have the, the parents of the little boy named Antoine. Antoine is the, the little boy you guys all seen. His face is really round because he's full of steroids and he's always hungry and always craving bad foods. And his mother constantly feeds him bad foods. Listen, at the end of the day, these parents only re, are starting to view their kids as uh, as livestock to, 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 to fatten their pockets. Um, this is not what parents do for children. You don't exploit your own child. Um, am I surprised? No, I'm surprised at the level of, uh, or at, 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 I guess at the rate that more and more black parents are doing this to their children. Now, at the end of the day, um, we all know what time it is in the industry. Y'all can stop beating the drums. I mean, and I, what I'm saying is, I don't mean to sound mean, but listen, it's 20 fucking 19. If you still don't think uh, Nickelodeon and Disney don't mess with kids, I don't know what else to tell you. At the end of the day, you're going to have parents uh, sacrificing their kids to these entities and to these conglomerates for money. Now, it's it. And here's what black folk problem is. It's OK when white parents do, do it to their kids. It's OK then. But when you see more and more black parents uh, exploiting their kids on online for monies and shit. Now it's like, Oh, wait a minute. It's a crisis. It's what do you mean? It's been a crisis to me. I don't, um, I don't separate children by, by, you know, color per se, like a child is a child. If we believe all children are precious and, um, all deserve protection, then why is it? It's only okay when the white kids go through the shit you know, um, you know, you don't trip off Corey Heyman, Corey Feldman, Macaulay Culkin. You don't worry about them when they're getting abused and, you know, uh, the little girl, Heather O'Rourke. Right. We don't trip off them. But if I say, hey, y'all need to watch out for, uh, you know, Zaza's parents, because give it give it time. Or if I say Sky Jackson, if I say uh, Kiki Palmer, then I'm, I'm, I'm touching some nerves and shit, you know, so. um I'm not going to say one one group is more thirsty than the others. I'm starting to see a, a greater increase in black parents uh, giving up their kids for, 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 you know, monetary gains and fortune. And it's sad, but I think it's even more sad when I call this shit out on people's platforms or, you know, on their pages. I get attacked like none other. You, you'd be surprised at how many black folk call me names because I'm like, yo, this is not what it is. It's something else. How could you say that? She's trying to take care of her kids. She's trying to feed her kids. Yada, yada. I get every excuse in the fucking book, man. And then um, this is why no one's coming to help us. Because you take this attitude and this position. And then, like I said, you think it's okay to to off, offer your kids up like this. When people start saying, I don't give a fuck anymore, then what? When, when people start saying, you know what, fuck your kids, then what? You know, when your kids come back. They're all damaged on drugs and shit and turned out. You want to you want regular folk to spend money and resources to help fix them. When had you just exercised better cautionary uh, parameters as a parent, you wouldn't be in this predicament. Had you not been your lust for money 
and want to be on TV so goddamn bad. Had you not if you had curbed that shit, we wouldn't be having this problem. So um I, I it is what it is. It, it is. I just we as a people have been so dis- disingenuous and just so dismissive. It's okay when it's that it's other people's kids, but God forbid you touch a black baby, you touch a black child, it's a problem. No, because now you see their mamas and their daddies doing the same thing that these parents of these white kids have been doing for decades. So um it's it's a uh it's a strange feeling for me. I'm very I'm deeply conflicted. Um these people know better, they're not stupid, they know what, what time it is. So don't don't act like these parents just don't know what the fuck they're, they're putting. Okay, gotta call her. Call what's happening. What's up, man? Hey, what's what's going on? Talk to me. Hey, peace, man. Uh, I'm calling out of Houston, you know. Uh, my, yeah, yeah, man. You know, my name is Joey. Calling out of Houston. Yeah, man. Um, good time listener, first time caller. Um, something I really like about your content, man, is like you. You real blunt, you like straight to the point, you know, like a real OG with it, you know. I, um, I appreciate that. Yeah, man. Already, man. Yeah, you know, I just want to ask you a quick question about this Nation Nine clown, dude. You know. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, man. Like, um, speaking of like how the way you think and stuff, like, have you as his manager, and when he comes home and shit, like, whoa. Okay, now here's the, here it it depends. Now is he in federal witness? Meaning he changes his name, facial reconstruction, all that shit. If that's the if he if they go that route, you can't do shit. You gotta let him go. Because you know that's for his protection. Now if he's not in federal witness and we're talking about doing a comeback, listen, man, listen. I would make him the biggest fucking star. We're talking books, <laughs> interviews. You think these niggas gonna are gonna are gonna you think they're gonna shun him? Really? You you had yeah, one one of your one of your biggest selling artists is still at the end of the day was a CO. You know how many how many rap niggas that that got snitch jackets on their you know snitch reports on their jackets and they're, and they're making a good money and and the, man listen I'd make him the biggest fucking star out of hip hop if I had him because I know exactly what to do with him. Honestly, I, I would turn it. I would I would turn him into the biggest hip hop star ever. He would be a comeback story of in of all comeback stories. I would spin the narrative. Well, how you do is you spin the narrative. You make him the victim. That's how you. So what we would do is we would paint him as a narrative, the victim as a as a victim of the narrative, right? 
Um, you do enough, you do enough interviews on mainstream media. Listen, once mainstream gets a hold of him and decides to push him in that route, trust me, a nigga's gonna follow. Niggas can talk all that shit all they got. They can say all this shit they want to say. Oh, you can't come back here. No fly zone, nigga. Please, it, especially if he's backed by corporate. If he's backed by corporate money, just hear me out. If he's backed by corporate money, you're not gonna outspend corporate money. And if he's and if he's a if he's a corporate asset, you're not gonna touch him. You know, so if you know there's that, well, if there's always that element that the cops maybe are not too far behind, no one's gonna, they're not gonna risk running running behind this this, this kid to, to get him like that. You know, because because he he hears me out. Did did not did not Shadi take the deal? Did he not tell to get his reduced sentence? Nick was facing life, and he got it down in 15 years. So who? <laughs> No one, no one's mentioning that part. Like Shadi told him, da- his damn self. So if you're gonna cash aspersions on everybody, cash it on everybody that that's taking deals and telling to, to lighten their sentences as, as as well. You know, that's just my point. Yeah, yeah, man. Um, all that's factual. You know. Um, now, um, you are knowing like the information and your wisdom. Like, is it a uh, kind of art or like a? Uh, I get what you're saying. The energy is there. I get, I, I get exactly what you're saying. The- thing to look forward to when he, when he does get out if he's under if he when he gets out if he's under federal protection then we, we don't we, we don't then we're not having this conversation but if he's not you would look for his management to see what his management does and see what where out where routes they push him to and i'll tell you everything you, you pretty much need to know at that point my man i appreciate it thank you so much Peace. And on that note, I appreciate my man for calling in. Uh, Houston is in the house. Y'all be safe out there because the flooding in Texas is not a fucking joke. So with that being said, uh, love and light to everybody. Be, everybody be vigilant. Um, yeah. So y'all stay on your P's and Q's. And I, until the next time, have a good night. Peace.
ถูกโอเค All right my brother have a good one All right peace Yo, y'all, my bad. Yo, truth teller, see over. I'm sorry. I didn't. I'm. Thank you guys for the uh, for the for the super chats. I appreciate. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I'm so sorry. So sorry. So sorry. Um, did I miss anything? Oh, did it was, oh my wife is in here. I'm told my wife is in the chat. Where her motherfucking ass at? Because right now we beefing right now, Crips and Bloods. So we don't like each other right now. Did she leave? I'm sure she'll be. I'll be hearing from her later on tonight. Fuck you. I saw what the fuck you wrote, motherfucker. What are you gonna do? What are you gonna do? What are you gonna do? What the fuck are you gonna do? Um, <laughs> thank everybody for hanging out. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, yeah. With that being said, if nothing else, I'm, I'm gonna go ahead and end this stream. And um, yeah, Mika B, yo, Mika B, I see you. You over there starting shit. I thought you was all sweet and innocent. You a you a troublemaker for real, Teku. What's happening? Faces by pureness. Faces by pureness. Sleep on the couch. Listen, uh, let, me, let me let me say this right now. I will never, ever look. look let me look at the screen when I tell y'all this, because she knows what I mean. That's why I, I will never, ever sleep on a fucking couch again. Do you understand me? I will burn the fucking house down. Rather than sleep on a fucking couch, I will never sleep on a couch again. Okay, okay. I know too many bitches to be sleeping on fucking couches. I will never do that shit again. Now, I'm being messy. I'm telling my business. What the fuck ever. So, with that being said, y'all have a good night. Peace.